Prospects to Pros is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know college and NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Well, GameTime's a brand new app that tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And don't worry about what your view will be because GameTime allows you to see panoramic views from every section in the venue before you buy. And checkout could not be simpler with a secure two-tap process right in the app. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So find out for yourself. Head to the App Store or Google Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke. Uh, finally dried out, I think, after sitting at the Michigan Notre Dame game on Saturday night. Uh, joined here by Dame Brugler, um, producer Kent Garrison. This is our first of two episodes this week, our free one that you can get on uh, Apple Podcasts and iTunes and everywhere else you, you listen to podcasts. And then our uh, Thursday episodes where we look ahead to the upcoming weekend in college and the pros are available for subscribers only through the athletic app. So make sure you uh, get that athletic, athletic subscription. Uh, hit up the athletic.com slash prospects to pros for 40% off. Uh, as I mentioned every time, <laughs> that gets you access to everything on our podcast network and uh, everything on our site. So hopefully worth your while there. And uh, Dane, uh, <laughs> I, I toughed it out for the Michigan Notre Dame game. I was there for all four quarters. Uh, I don't know if I get any bonus points for that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and especially because it really wasn't that close of a game. Uh, But if, you know, as we've established, you're a Michigan man. And so, you know, (laughs) we don't know. Well, I guess we do know the next time we'll see Michigan play Notre Dame, but it's going to be a while. So I I don't blame you for for soaking that in a little bit. And (laughs) is Michigan turning the corner? Are they... You know, obviously, you know, we saw them, what they did against Army. We saw the debacle against Wisconsin. But, you know, and, and they've, you know, moral victory against Penn State, whatever, you know, but they thoroughly embarrassed Notre Dame. Are they turning a corner where they're going to be a problem for some teams in November? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, uh, what, 14 years till they're supposed to play again. <laughs> it also was uh, sort of... Uh, it's been a while since Michigan had a win like that, so I felt almost obligated to stick <laughs> around. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, it, they've gotten more interesting, uh, unfortunately for them, after they already picked up two losses in the Big Ten. But they sort of got more interesting, I think, the last maybe five or six quarters. And the offense the offense looks more like it did last year. I, like, I don't know if they've changed just the approach. It looks more like the – kind of the classic Harbaugh offense that he had installed. So I don't know if he's taken back more control from offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis or just they found something that worked with Shea Patterson and that run game and everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the conditions weren't super favorable. Patterson, I think, completed six passes, but he did have uh, some nice throws. We talked after the uh, Penn State game about how maybe he was sort of reemerging as uh, as uh, like a potential senior bowl candidate um so he's playing that well it obviously changes things and then to, to just run the ball all over Notre Dame I mean I was a little surprised that it was so 
sloppy on both sides of the ball for Notre Dame. I mean, we kind of talked up some of those guys that they have on offense. They've got some good offensive linemen. Um, we talked last week about Ian Book, you know, uh, Claypool at wide receiver, Cole Komet. Um, and they just were completely out of sorts on, on both sides of the ball. You know, again, they Michigan didn't throw a lot, so it sort of negated uh, those edge guys a little bit in the rain. But, you know, I don't know that anyone really stood out on that Notre Dame side. It's got to be like it was tough, tough environment to be playing in because of the conditions. But um, that has to be one of the more disappointing performances they've had in a while, too. Yeah, no question. It reminds me of that Miami game a couple years ago, uh, just how bad they looked compared to how they've looked at different points throughout the season. I mean, they gave they went down to Athens and gave Georgia a game um, and they just they they whatever they had working in that game uh, just was not present on Saturday night. And Ian Book uh, can you know, we talked kind of last week, how is he a legit prospect? And, you know, I've I kind of said how he thinks he is but you know he he needs to go back to school and you know I don't think there's any questioning that he's just he's so inconsistent when uh trying to throw outside the numbers uh Michigan will basically they'll they'll load up the middle of the field and they'll force you to uh, or they'll put their corners on an island and force you to throw it out there and that's not what Notre Dame likes to do uh with Ian Book so it worked out well to Michigan's advantage and you know, credit to them. They, they, they've got some intriguing prospects on that team. Uh, when you talk about the receivers, when you talk about Uche, when you talk about, um, I mean, even like a guy like Glasgow, I don't think he's going to be, uh, I mean, he, he's going to be a guy that's going to just make a roster because of special teams. Um, what he does, um, you know, I don't think he's got, has enough to see the, a lot of defensive snaps, a linebacker, but what he can do on special teams is, is going to endear him to NFL coaches. So Michigan has quite a few interesting guys. Um, and it's going to be interesting. I think, especially, uh, you know, we'll see Ohio state's got a tough one uh, against Penn state the week before, but if uh, both these teams went out, it'll be another, should be another, uh, you know, hopefully another good game when we talk about the game uh, last weekend in November. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to just add a little bit more juice to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ohio State rolled through Wisconsin after the, it's in the second half, at least. The first half, Wisconsin hung around, and uh, we'll touch on that game in a minute. But, you know, Ohio State's got Penn State left, and then uh, that Michigan game kind of looming. And, yeah, just for uh, the sake of, uh, like, entertainment purposes, you, it would be, wouldn't be terrible if Michigan was rolling a little bit headed into that one just to kind of make it interesting. I still don't you know, think they match up all that particularly well with Ohio State, but I don't know who does at this point, the way they've been playing. So True. Um, one, to, one to keep an eye on. We'll get to uh, um, get into Ohio State here in a little bit, as I mentioned, and, and into the Heisman discussion. They've got at least one and maybe two guys in that mix uh, down in Columbus there. But the weekend started uh, Thursday night, SMU put its uh, undefeated record on the line against Houston, a really close uh, entertaining game, 34-31 SMU. And uh, a couple guys there I wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about really. Uh, Xavier Jones, the running back, has had a really good year. He had a couple touchdowns, 133 yards. And then uh, Rodney Clemens, their defensive back, helped seal that game with a really nice fourth down breakup of a pass on the outside. And he had a strong game too. So just either of those guys really on the draft radar for you. Uh, you know, I think that I mean I agree with everything you said because they, they both had uh, really good games and impacted uh, the the final score. You know, we talked about James Proch before, the wide receiver who 
not the biggest guy, 5'10 and a half, 195, uh, but really good ball skills. I, I think, you know, he's in that day three discussion. And I think Rodney Clemens definitely has a shot to join him uh, somewhere on day three. He's 5'11 and a half, 206, 208, legit 4'5 speed. Um, he had his moments on uh, in that game, uh, both good and bad. Uh, he was responsible. He, he took a... Uh, the one 75-yard touchdown that Houston had, uh, I believe in the third quarter, one of the first plays in the third quarter, uh, Clemens took a bad downhill angle and underneath route, and uh, the receiver was able to take it the distance. But at the same time, when you see him on tape, you see good body control. You see his ability to uh, flip his hips, judge the football, make plays on the ball. And he's a pretty reliable tackler when he's in position. So uh, there's a mix of good and bad with Clemens, but I think enough where he's going to be in that draftable discussion. And then with Xavier Jones, uh, really productive career. Um, I, he's he's quick, but he's not explosive. Um, and I don't think he has necessarily the the run balance or the power where he's going to break a lot of tackles. But love his ability to kind of weave through the defense. He can drift, maneuver into open space. Uh, I think he has good pacing, good vision in the open field. Uh, I think he's a PFA in this loaded running back class. But he's a guy that's definitely earned himself, uh, you, you know, a, a workout, a tryout, and possibly getting signed as a free agent. Yeah, we've we've talked a lot about this this running back class and it looks like you wrote back uh, you know when you were doing your summer scouting back in July that it has a chance to be a really special group and we've talked about the guys at the top Swift and uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor certainly we've brought up a bunch uh, Travis Etienne um, but you know how how deep does this class go because I've got like just even off this week Xavier Jones on my list uh, CJ Verdell had a really good game I don't know if he comes out after this year I mean it seems like there's a lot of guys that are going to be in that day three maybe you mentioned the pfa range that uh, there might be some contributors in that group that you know we see guys go in that range and then they're playing maybe pretty early next year uh, levante bellamy is another one i had on there had a huge game has, has had a huge year for western michigan um and benny lemay from charlotte i mean just sort of keep going down my list here of guys that i've made notes on over the past couple of weeks and it seems like there's going to be a lot of talent available beyond that you know top four or five guys Oh, yeah, no question. And, and there usually always is. I mean, South Carolina's got two guys that are uh, legitimate draftable players with Rico Dowdle and um, Tavian Feaster. I'm glad you mentioned Levante Bellamy because he's a player we need to talk about more. Uh, he's gone over 100 yards rushing six of the last seven games. Uh, he's a, he's not the biggest guy. Uh, he's 5'9". And over in the spring, they, me- they measured him at 170. Now, he's probably... In the 180s now, um, he's probably a little bit bigger, but he's still not a big guy. And so size will be a question mark there. Uh, He's a legit track speed type of guy. Uh, The speed is going to be uh, what gives him a shot at being drafted. So I'm glad you mentioned Bellamy because, yeah, he he is really having a good year. Uh, And even a guy like uh, Adrian Killens, uh, UCF, uh, 4'3 speed. And when you have that type of speed, that's something that's going to get attention and give you a shot. So this uh, this running back class, and you know, and these are, and I think everyone I just mentioned were all seniors. Um, TCU's got two guys that have a shot uh, with Darius Anderson and Seawol uh, Olanalua. Uh, I can't, I got to work on that one, but he he's a 
You know, he looks, he's like the Latavius Murray type of, looks like a linebacker, but he's got the athleticism to play running back. Um, the top small school guys, James Robinson from Illinois State, he's a legit mid-rounder. And then we're going to have, you know, somewhere between, you know, probably 12 and 20 underclassmen running backs come out. We always do. Um, and so, yeah, you mentioned Swift and Jonathan Taylor and Etienne. And, you know, J.K. Dobbins is making a strong case why he should be a uh, top three or four running back drafted. Uh, LSU, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has had a tremendous season uh, that, you know, is, you know, we talk a lot about Joe Burrow and what he means at LSU offense. Edwards Hilaire has been, uh, you know, almost as impactful with what he's done uh, for that offense. And so he's he's a, a junior who's draft eligible. Um, Oklahoma's got two guys, Kenny Brooks and Trey Sermon. Uh, so there and the list goes on and on of talented uh, running backs. And it, it's it really makes it for, uh, you know, more guys than there are going to be spots, uh, you know, running back spots in the draft. And so there's going to be and that's, again, <laughs> why it goes back to the debate about whether or not you should draft a running back in the first round, just because there's going to be so many of these guys, the pure volume. Uh, And that's what, you know, I I wrote about over the summer, how I don't know if we necessarily have that true top 10 running back in this class, but we're going to have in terms of pure volume, a potentially special class because there's so many of these guys that uh, could potentially help NFL teams next year. Yeah, for sure. And Western Michigan, just on Bellamy, was sort of interesting. Um, you know, two years ago, they, he was kind of their part of their thunder lightning. They had Jarvie and Franklin, who was like a 230-pound back. And then last year was him and uh, basically him and Jamari Bogan, who is similar in size to him. And now it's just him, and he's putting up these huge numbers. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's really enjoying a good year. Um, over on the other side of the state for me here in uh, Kalamazoo, um, already over a thousand yards. He got 17 touchdowns uh, as we go into November. So um, he's probably not in the Heisman race because of where he plays. But again, we got some guys to hit on here that are, and that includes uh, you talked about that LSU win. um, And Joe Burrow is a guy that we've talked about maybe more than anyone else uh, on this podcast since we started. And I, you know, I think the moment, whether it's fair or not to sort of judge quarterbacks in these moments, you know that NFL teams are looking at them. And there was that hit Burrow took early in the game, scrambled, just got clobbered on the sideline and got up, stayed in the game, had a really nice game, got a big win over a big opponent. And sometimes these are the discussions that come back when you talk about, well, do you want a guy who's Who's an athlete? You know, do you want the Tua type who's going to make plays with his feet and and be moving outside the pocket all the time, or do you want the more prototypical size and like a guy that you think is going to hold up better? And I think that that's one of those plays where you where NFL teams are going to say, well, you know, he can take a hit and he can keep going. And again, you don't want to sort of run it down to just that one snap on a guy, but. Uh, it certainly stood out as one that, you know, if an NFL team likes that type of quarterback, they're going to point to that and say, look, see, he can do this. He'll be fine if we let him get hit by NFL guys. Yeah, and I, I just picture uh, John Gruden somewhere in a dark room watching <laughs> right. tape. He's watching that clip and he's just, man, that's toughness, man. And it's just, you know, like, <laughs> I, I'm no Frank Caliendo, uh, obviously. But that's no, pretty I, good. No, I, that sounded I, pretty good. I, I That's what I, you know, because – and. He, that's there's going to be plenty of those reactions uh throughout throughout the league and 
it's something that absolutely is going to be mentioned. And especially with Tua, uh, you know, nursing another ankle injury, another lower body injury. Um, it, I, it's going to be so much fun when we talk about this LSU Alabama game. Um, uh, surprised that Alabama's already, I saw the, the early lines, like eight points with, in favor of Alabama. I know the game's in Tuscaloosa, but that was a little surprising to see. Uh, yeah, but that's, I mean, there's so much on the line in that game, college football wise, playoff wise, Heisman wise, and then of course, NFL evaluation wise, uh, just to see how, you know, if Burrow goes out and lays an egg, he's not going to destroy that everything he's done, all the goodwill he's built up to this point, but it will be something that, you know, this, this, and this, but that game in Alabama at Alabama in that in that moment, in that environment against a top tier quarterback and Tua. And, you know, it's something that there's so much on the line in this game. And it's just, it makes for so many fascinating storylines, but I think Burrow deserves a lot of credit for what he did against Auburn. Uh, You know, he didn't, he didn't have to make a ton of wow throws, but it's the two or three that he did throughout the game that, uh, you know, you really point to and say, okay, you know, underneath Okay, they're they're giving up these uh, Auburn's giving up these dink and dunk throws, but then you know the chances that he did take, uh, he hit them except for that one interception that he just uh, it was an under slightly underthrown ball that um, you know he he obviously wishes he could have back, but uh, over overall it was another stellar performance by Joe Burrow, and I mean the I, we talked about it last week. It's it's Tua, Joe Burrow, and then a gap and. I don't think that's changed. Now, when we talk again, uh, or we talk in two weeks after that Alabama LSU game, maybe that changes. But where we are right now, that's kind of how we're sitting. Yeah. And I mean, I think you've got to give, I'm sure Auburn's not thrilled uh, to lose that game. They gave up 500 yards. They didn't, uh, you know, it's like five point yard, 5.2 yards per carry for Edwards Hilaire. I'm sure they're not thrilled with their defensive effort, but I also didn't think that was a bad defensive game from them. And, you know, the first half was 10-10. I mean, I, like you said, I think they kind of forced um, forced Burrow to live a little maybe closer to the line of scrimmage than he would like to. Uh, they got to him a few times. Derek Brown had a sack. I mean, they got in there three times and, and sacked him. So I think that they, as much as really anyone has this year, disrupted or s- sort of uh, staggered the LSU offense a little bit and made him – uh, live with some of those smaller plays. But yeah, again, uh, it's it's a good moment for Burrow to respond, not just to the hit, but to respond to a defense kind of making them do that and uh, still put up 23 points, still get the win. And it, again, we just every time we, I don't know that we've talked about too many negatives so far. <laughs> every time we talk about him, it seems like Joe Burrow's just sort of inching closer and closer to locking him in to one of those top picks because he's passing all these tests time and again. And, and obviously this is, probably the biggest one coming up but uh, you know I don't <laughs> I don't know that you could be upset with really anything you've seen from him so far this season no oh, yeah it, that's that's exactly it and you know I, it, people I've heard people call him the flavor of the month or you know it's just well why didn't he do this last year and it's just you know there's so many variables that go into this and uh, you know the fact that he was a first it was his first year in the program last year uh, the offensive play caller was what it was, and they upgraded that in the offseason. Um, but you just you listen to him talk. You listen to the coaches talk about him. Um, I, you know, I mean, t- tell me what your doubts are it, it, for those that doubt him. You know, it's just it, it's 
he's done everything that you would want, uh, you know, a senior quarterback to do in his final season, uh, especially after not really being on the radar as being a first round pick coming into the year. He's checked all those boxes and he might not have an elite arm uh, in terms of, you know, he might not have a Jacob Eason arm, a Justin Herbert arm um, where he can just fire off uh, fastballs with ease. But I mean, I haven't seen his arm strength be an issue. And maybe that's the one thing that you can point to and say uh, it's not it's not great. But, you know, he's a good size. He's a good athlete. Doesn't get enough credit for his athleticism. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he's got Burrow's got this LSU team right in the mix for everything they want to accomplish. I mean, he's right there. And, uh, you know, the defense, Derek Stingley, I mean, we talk about draft eligible guys on this pod because that's that's what we focus on. But Derek Stingley, a true freshman, if he were in this draft, someone asked me, I think he'd go top five. Like, he's that good. Huh. And the, the sample size is tiny, obviously. But I, I don't remember seeing a freshman corner be this good this early. His size, his athleticism, uh, his just his understanding of body position. Uh, he's able to uh, recognize route concepts very early uh, in the play design. I mean, just a really, really smart, talented player. And I, he, it, aside from that uh, you know, muffed punt that he had, punt return, I mean, he had another stellar game against uh, Auburn on Saturday. So I, we still have two years to really talk about him as an NFL prospect. But, uh, you know, he's he's one of the one percenters, you know, the, the guys who do enough as freshmen to make you question uh, or, you know, figure out a loophole. So some of these guys can go to the NFL early because some of these guys are ready after you know, their freshman year. Again, they're one percenters. There's not many. I think Stingley's one of them. We'll put a pin in Joe Burrow here and circle back. I mentioned we wanted to talk about sort of where the Heisman race is at heading into November and obviously Burrow's. A big part of that discussion, but I know you, you wanted to hit on the Texas TCU game uh, here for a second. TCU getting the the thirty seven twenty seven victory. Uh, some nice numbers for a couple of the Texas wide receivers we've talked about. Colin Johnson went over a hundred. Devin Duvernay had one hundred and seventy three and a touchdown. Um, maybe the biggest draft news uh, to come out of it afterward is that Lucas Niang from from TCU is going to be shut down for the season. Um, but uh, like I said, I, I know you wanted to put this one on our list for, for this week. So I'll, I'll kind of toss out the topic to you and uh, let you lead the way. Well, yeah, one of the best matchups I thought was Colin Johnson, the Texas wide receiver versus Jeff Gladney, the TCU corner. Both these guys are fighting for a spot in the top 100 picks. Um, Colin Johnson came into the year as the top senior receiver for a lot of scouts around the league. Uh, but he has, and injuries have been a big part of why he hasn't necessarily lived up to that. Uh, but he had over a hundred yards, uh, against Gladney and it was a back and forth. They both had their moments. Gladney had a few pass breakups. Um, uh, Johnson had a few really nice catches and coverage. So that was a really fun matchup, uh, of, of two guys who are really competing to be top 100 draft picks. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I, I'm glad you mentioned the Yang. Uh, he's been dealing with this hip and this knee issue all year, uh, basically. And so he's been gutting it out. He has missed some time uh, throughout the course of a game because of it. And doctors, I think last week, um, really advised him to shut it down and have surgery. He really wanted to play this Texas game. And so suited up and you could tell he wasn't hundred percent. He had a few missteps in that game, but uh, you know, all in all, he, he played uh, fairly well considering uh, the injuries and he's going to be shut down for, yeah, three to four months. 
that likely takes him out of the senior bowl, which I think right now he is the top senior tackle right on the borderline of being a first or second rounder. And so we'll have to see, maybe this opens a spot for someone to get, uh, you know, if he's not able to go to the senior bowl, does that open a spot for someone else who's able to make a name for himself? Uh, maybe, you know, like a Caleb McGarry did last year, uh, Titus Howard, uh, the way they both those guys did get into that late first round. Maybe that it happens for another offensive tackle this year. Um, but hopefully the hope is he's healthy enough for the combine uh, because I don't know what kind of shape he'll be in. I don't know if he'll work out, but at least he'll be able to, uh, you know, be near full health. So the medical staffs will be able to look at him and uh, determine if there's any long-term worries with him uh, during the medical evaluations in Indianapolis. And so uh, disappointing news for Niang, but it, you know, it should work out okay in terms of his draft status. Yeah. And Gladney is uh, I know that's a guy that um, and Jim Nagy sort of talked up as a, as a senior bowl guy, someone that he'd like to have down there. And um, you know, I guess the only thing is the matchup with Johnson, as we talked about pretty much every time, Colin Johnson's name has come up is just that's a six foot six guy who made some, you know, he had the like one really nice back shoulder catch against Gladney. I mean, those that's always the challenge, I think, with defending a guy like that in general. But Gladney's kind of right on that 5'11, six foot borderline, I think. I guess we'll have to wait and see what he officially measures in at. But um, I mean, is that is that the concern is just the size of being able to play outside against some of these bigger NFL receivers? I mean, because just in terms of his style of play and sort of the way he uh, the way he gets after it on the outside, the way he finds the ball, like he seems like he has a lot of things that you look for for an outside corner and the size, maybe the box that we still need to see checked here. I think that's a great point because you're you're right. He he plays with good physicality where he's going to body up bigger receivers. He's going to fight to win body position. He has that NFL level toughness that you're looking for. Uh, and then I really like how he plays through the hands and the arms of the receiver at the catch point. So that physicality, you know, walking that fine line of being disciplined, but yet being aggressive. I, I think that he does a really nice job of that. But his size is something that's it, it it does is not a positive for him. It's not a strength. Uh, he's a verified five ten even. So he's not even uh, close. To, you know, he's one inch shorter than that five eleven mark. Uh, and but he's he's fast. Uh, you know, he's probably going to run in the mid four fours. Um, so uh, and he has actually decent length. Uh, the the measurables that NFL teams have on him five ten oh one eighty three thirty two and a half inch. Uh, arms. So pretty good arm length for a corner, especially for a corner that isn't uh, the tallest. So uh, Gladney is, I think he's, he's definitely in the top 100 mix. Uh, I think he's, I think it's more of a question. Does he go second round or th third round? I think that's the question with Gladney and a lot will depend on what other uh, under what underclassmen come out from this corner class, how he does at the senior bowl. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to those one-on-ones uh, just like we got to see on Saturday between Colin Johnson and Gladney. Uh, they'll probably be teammates at the senior bowl. So during practice, good chance we see those one-on-one -on -one matchups again. Yeah. And I know he also got some snaps against like Rondale Moore earlier in the year. So he's mm -hmm. shown some ability to kind of vary. you know, he doesn't always have to be on the, the biggest guy on the other side and kind of drop down and play some of those faster, quicker receivers too. Um, mentioned we wanted to go into uh, the Heisman discussion, Joe Burrow, um, Jalen Hurts, uh, just 
kind of curious what the fallout of that game is. I don't know how much of the Oklahoma upset loss at Kansas State you can pin on Jalen Hurts. He was pretty much their entire offense, but right. uh, obviously a loss there. I think I probably shorted Ohio State by saying they had two Heisman candidates. They probably got three if you count Chase Young, uh, J.K. Dobbins, and then Justin Fields. And you were mentioning sort of looking ahead on these guys. I guess I'll get a jump start on 2021 here. Justin Fields? What do you, where, what's your thought on where he might start the, our discussions next season? We're going to be talking all summer about who's the top quarterback. Is it Trevor Lawrence? Is it Justin Fields? Because Lawrence has seemingly taken a little bit of a step back, uh, or you know, he just hasn't, as good as he played towards the end of last year, he hasn't necessarily looked that way consistently this year, where Justin Fields has looked like a monster. I mean, he everything that you want in a quarterback from a physical perspective, he he has. And then you talk about uh, just where he is mentally and he's making smart decisions. He's being accurate. Ryan Day talks very highly of his preparation habits and, you know, how he understands the game, uh, you know, and just everything that you, you want from the quarterback. So we're going to be talking a lot at, ad nauseum about uh, who's the top quarterback next year. Uh, but if, okay, right now where we are, you have a Heisman vote. You have to list your top five uh, in the Heisman, where we are. And obviously, this is going to change as we get into November. But where we are the you know last few days of October, what is your top five in the Heisman? Uh, I think, man, I think Burrow is probably my number one right now. Um, and I mentioned Jalen Hurts. Like, I, I still think those are – that's probably one, two for me at the moment, just given the type of numbers that Hurts is putting up in that offense. Um, I, Tua might have – been right there having him miss a game and now kind of wait and see what he's going to look like against LSU and kind of hesitant to to include him in that top two but I think he's probably still in that discussion I think honestly three for me at this moment might be either Chase Young or J.K. Dobbins I think they're probably both in the top five and and that's not meant to slight Justin Fields I just think J.K. Dobbins has been so good at, at the running back spot in that offense just big play after big play and as we talked about last week he's doing it uh, in the run game but also as a receiver it's been an mm-hmm. all-around assault from him and he's just been so impressive week in and week out this was a good wisconsin defense or at least had been a good wisconsin defense until two weeks ago uh that he got on saturday and had another good game um so the i mean it's probably burrow hurts two uh and then two of the three ohio state guys for me and i'd have dobbins young but i think there's a case to be made, certainly, for Justin Fields and um, then a handful of guys after that. Uh, do you have anyone that I'm missing? No. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with you about Burroughs at one. I think he's – with what he's done with that schedule, um, you know, he he deserves to be number one right now. Um, now, again, that this could change after, you know, goes to Alabama. Uh, the two toughest games, I mentioned, you know, the Kentucky Derby and – uh, the triple crown and all that. The the two the first two games, the tougher games, Florida and Auburn, both were in Baton Rouge. So this third game against uh, Alabama is in Tuscaloosa on the road, much tougher place to play. So we'll we'll see how he does and you know he quits himself in a setting like that. But right now, Burrow's number one for me. Chase Young's number two. Uh, I mean, I think mm. he I, I think he's the best player in in uh, college football and. I don't think when you talk about the Heisman, you can just talk about that in a vacuum. Like, oh, he's the best player. He deserves a Heisman. I think uh, when you talk about impact potential, that that matters. Um, 
Uh, Chase Young certainly impacts the game in a big, big way. Um, you know, Wisconsin is kind of head scratching the amount of times they left him blocked one on one. And every t- <laughs> right. every time they that's the thing. The biggest mark of a really talented player is when you have a huge target on your back, and even when you have a target on your back, you're still productive. And you know, when you have a one on one matchup, they kind of you know they they can't double you every snap, but when they do give you a one on one matchup, you take advantage of it. I mean, Chase Young, that that describes him uh, in a nutshell. So um, he's number two for me. Three, I, I would go Jalen Hurts because, yeah, I agree with everything you said. He he was not the reason he lost to Kansas State. Uh, the production has been awesome, uh, regardless of you know conference or you know who they've played. Although Oklahoma, they have not played uh, you know anybody that really gets you excited. The toughest defense they played was probably Texas, and Hertz was you know fairly average in that game. But I still think he's three. Uh, and then yeah, four, five, six. I, I think you're talking about the three players: Tua, Justin Fields, and J.K. Dobbins. I, and I think it's debatable about where they fall. Uh, four, five, six. I, I think you could make a strong case. I feel pretty strong about my top three, but four, five, six, I think is pretty debatable uh, for me uh, in terms of where those guys fall. Yeah, I guess, is there anyone else who could jump into this? Like, is Trouble Howard's up to 1,400 yards and 16 touchdowns? Is he going to get some votes? Or is Jonathan Taylor still on the fringe of this discussion, even though, you know, the wheels have kind of come off a little bit for Wisconsin? I, I'm trying to spot other guys that might jump into the race. I don't know that, I mean, it seems like the top of this ballot's pretty well established at this point, but um, yeah, I don't know if one of those two running backs really makes a leap here. If they get to, you know, Taylor, I guess is going to have a hard time getting to 2,000 yards, but if Chubba Hauer rushes for 2,000 yards on the year, does he does he sort of sneak into that top five? Yeah, I think he's got a shot. Uh, I mean, he, he leads the nation in rushing, so, you know, that's, I mean, he... And, he, and he, he's averaging like 170 rushing yards a game. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, Hubbard's absolutely, I think, in that conversation. Um, I, I do think Jonathan Taylor, while he took a huge hit to his Heisman chances, they're not completely dead. If he goes, if Wisconsin wins out and goes and faces, say, Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, and Jonathan Taylor runs all over him and gets revenge, then I think that's maybe the one scenario where he's right back in mm-hmm. it. Um and is he able to get back on that map? Um, so I think yeah, I think you're you're definitely right to mention those two guys, those two running backs. Uh, I think, I mean, Anthony Gordon at Washington State. I, I think he deserves more more national love than what he's getting. Um, you know, obviously with Gardner Minshew and everything that he's doing now in the NFL, that's going to help Gordon. Uh, it won't hurt him, obviously. But in, Gordon by himself is a legitimate prospect that deserves talked about more. And I think with the season he's having, uh, he also des- deserves mention for, uh, you know, he almost, uh, you know, pulled out the victory against Oregon. Um, you know, credit to uh, CJ Verdell and Justin Herbert and Oregon for coming back and winning that game. But Anthony Gordon came very close to pulling the upset. So I think he deserves mention as well. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence. I don't think there's any possibility at this point that he jumps back into the Heisman race just because of how much the struggle's been this first two months really I'm not and struggles I don't know if that's even the right word because they're headed towards the playoffs in an undefeated season regular season again but you know 17 touchdowns eight interceptions he certainly hasn't been as sharp as maybe everyone everyone expected him to be just how surprised are you that I mean we're headed into November and he's really not even 
part of the conversation for the Heisman Trophy race. Yeah, he was the overwhelming favorite, according right. to Vegas, coming into the year. So, yeah, I mean, you have to be surprised that he fell off fairly quickly. And uh, part of it is Clemson and part of it's like the ACC is just it's not a very strong conference and so there hasn't Clemson hasn't been on that big stage you know where they've been the primetime game and you know so they haven't had that stage for Trevor Lawrence to truly show you know the world that you know he's still a legit Heisman contender Uh, he just hasn't played up to that level this year and he hasn't been terrible he just hasn't been to the level that we kind of put him on a pedestal and he hasn't been able to to reach that. And part of that is, uh, you know, expectations. And part of that is, uh, you know, the promise that he showed towards the end of last year and especially in a national title game. So I, I don't, I don't want to say he's, I, I don't think he's regressed, but he hasn't necessarily taken that next step um, that you would, that we expected uh, a freshman uh, becoming a sophomore. We didn't, we, he hasn't taken that step that we expected. So um, it is a, definitely a surprise that, you know, we're still in, we're in October and um, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence really isn't even in the discussion for the Heisman. So last thing on this, as you mentioned, Chase Young at two, I said, I probably had him at three or four um, or somewhere in that mix. Uh, there's been one, you know, primarily defensive player to win the Heisman. And it was, uh, you know, in the last however many years, it was Charles Woodson. Eight of the right. last nine have been quarterbacks. Three, The last three have been quarterbacks. How does Chase Young at this point get over the top? You know, when we're talking about Hurts and talking about Burrow, because, I mean, I think, I mean, I guess the question is, what else can he do that he hasn't done already that would put him over those guys if we're saying he's not there yet? You know, he's got 13 and a half sacks. He's been just thoroughly dominant week in and week out. So how does he how does he separate himself? Or is it a matter of, you know, those guys have to have bad games and he just has yeah. to stay consistent? Exactly. I think he I think he's gonna need help, unfortunately, because it's just it's a quarterback running back award. Um and if if Burroughs if he goes to uh Tuscaloosa and if 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 Burrow goes to Tuscaloosa and just is lights out, LSU wins and he looks you know, like the Joe Burrow we've seen, then I don't know that Chase Young is going to be able to overcome that because, you know, he, we're talking about LSU being the number one team in the nation. The big reason is because of the quarterback and just the fact that he plays quarterback. It's just, it's going to be really tough for uh, a defensive player to overcome that. I don't think he will, but if Burrow struggles in, in that game against Alabama and, you know, isn't as uh, consistent as we've seen him uh, down the stretch, then and same thing with Jalen Hurts. Um, I, I think that you know it's the door will be open. And the unfortunate thing for a defensive end is if you're going to vote, if he's going to win the Heisman, vote a lot of voters are going to expect him to be dominant week in week out. If he plays, you know, they Ohio State's got Rutgers and Maryland coming up. Uh, if Chase Young only has say two sacks combined in those two games. Uh, then that's going to hurt him. And even though, I mean, when you watch that game, he might be triple teamed and, you know, it's opening up opportunities for other defensive players to make plays. And they're saying, we're we're just going to stop Chase Young and make everybody else beat him. Well, you know, that might be the case, but, and even so he might not have the production that you're looking for, but a lot of voters won't see that. They won't see the impact that he is making by forcing the offense to game plan around that one player. So uh, it's for a lot of voters, it just comes down to the box scores and looking at the stats. And 
Uh, Chase Young certainly has that. But if he's not dominant down the stretch, which he might not be, because again, teams are going to do whatever they can to try and slow him down, uh, it's going to be tough. So yeah, the the odds are no doubt stacked against him uh, as we go into November. But uh, anybody that's watched him, if you watch the Wisconsin game, I mean, the guy, you can't have a conversation about the best players in America at the college level without mentioning Chase Young's name. At the very least, he deserves uh, an invitation to New York. If Jabril Peppers can get (laughs) an invite to New York, then get Chase Young there. And that was sort of the discussion going back, just like on Jadavian Clowney even. Every every time there's one of these dominant guys, Chase Young's stats, obviously, like I said, he's got 13 and a half sacks, but sometimes you have those games where the entire game plan is just to try and slow you down. And so everyone else on the other side of the line has a big game and and then it doesn't show up and it kind of hurts you. But, uh, man, what's the line on that Ohio State Rutgers game going to be? It's at Rutgers, Uh, which I don't think matters at all. (laughs) 50? I mean, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it'll be over – it'll be over 40. And so, yeah, is it – does it get to 50 I think is the question, (laughs) That which is just amazing. What would it have to be for you to take Rutgers? (laughs) Gosh. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. 40? I I mean – you spot me 40 points, 45 points? I don't, I don't know. I, know. I think I'd need at least like you, 55 to go Rutgers there. You would ex, you would expect that they're going to – I mean, we're in the – I know you want to give Justin Fields as many reps as possible. And, you know, I think Ohio State fans are pulling their hair out late in that Northwestern game when Fields is still playing. But against Rutgers and you're up, you know, 35 nothing in at <laughs> halftime – why are you playing Justin Fields in the second half? I mean, don't risk a, a fluke injury. Like, take him out. And, you know, maybe that will that, – that's the only shot you have if you're Rutgers to keeping it uh, within 50 points. Yeah. And, but then, I mean, you even get past the the number one guys. And, like, I know. You got, like, yeah. Master, Master Teague, Teague and the backup running back. And, Marcus yeah. Crawl. No, like, they've got guys. So, yeah, no poor Rutgers. Um, I <laughs> did want to spend a, a, just a minute here before we wrap on – Looking back at the NFL week, uh, I mentioned I was at that Michigan-Notre Dame game. For for the Athletic, I was at the Lions-Giants uh, game. And a lot of talk in Detroit right now about Darius Slay surrounding that game. You know, he didn't play in that one because he's uh, been dealing with a hamstring injury. We're recording a few hours here before the trade deadline, so we'll see if he's still lying after that. But Darius Slayton, um, Sterling Shepard didn't play on the other side, and so Darius Slayton sort of I really wound up being the number one guy in that offense in that game. And, man, he was really good. He had a, a couple touchdown catches, both of them difficult. The one was he sort of mossed uh, <laughs> uh, Rashawn Melvin, I think it was, in coverage, who's been uh, a solid contributor to the Lions as their number two corner this year. Uh, and that's a round five pick. It was number 171. We've talked about you know Terry McLaurin was a little further down the draft board. You know That obviously wasn't a first-rounder. Um, Deontay Johnson had a good game Monday night. He, he's had a good year for Pittsburgh. Wasn't a first rounder. And again, Slayton was a round five guy who now is, um, looks like he's got a chance to be a real impact player in that Giants offense uh, and is already making some plays averaging 16 and 0.7 yards per reception on the year. Is he outperforming what you thought he could be as a rookie? No, he's doing exactly what I thought. He was a top 100 player for me. I loved Darius Slayton as a prospect because you're talking about 6'1", 190, 4'3", speed, long arms. Uh, I mean, he he was legit at the combine. He had over 40 inches in the vert, over 11 feet in the broad. 
Um, it, there's so much to like about his speed, his athleticism, his explosiveness. And he was kind of pigeonholed in that Auburn. That Auburn offense is just, it's it's sickening to watch because it's just not, it's <laughs> I, I, it's just a high school offense. And Darius Slayton was pigeonholed into basically just he's, he's a vertical receiver. And now because of that, his development as a route runner is a little stunted. Like he does not have many branches on his route tree, mm-hmm. but give me a guy with those measurables and I'm going to work with that. And so um, I, I think he is... He he can certainly win on the nine routes where he's just going to run by guys and he has the height, the length, the catch radius where he can go up and uh, just be more athletic than the corner at the catch point. Um, so, but I think he's more than just a speed demon. I think he's a fluid athlete. Um, he's really good making th- uh, catches outside his frame. He can create after out the, the catch. So yeah, Darius Slate was a top 100 player for me who I think was an absolute steal in the fifth round. And so far, Daniel Jones and him have uh, had some nice chemistry going on. So that's been good to see. Um, and I think the wide receiver position, you mentioned a few of them. The wide receiver position, no question, has been the class of the rookie class in terms of the sure volume of players who have been impressive. Um, I'm coming out, we'll talk about this on the the pod uh, later this week, um, but I'm coming out with my all rookie team at the halfway mark today. And at wide receiver, there's no question for me, it's been Terry McLaurin, no question. But you talk about DK Metcalf, what he's doing in Seattle. McCole Hardman is really starting to come on in Kansas City as a legit weapon. Uh, Marquise Brown, we can't forget about him, even though his uh, production's tailed off a little bit. Um, you know, I think uh, even a guy like uh, Johnson uh, with the Vikings, uh, BC. I mean, he's yeah, he's outplaying what I thought he could be. Um, so the wide receiver position has been really fun to watch now as rookies um, and. Kind of along the lines, when you mentioned Daniel Jones, um, this is kind of switching gears a little bit, uh, but something I want to kind of end the podcast with. If you could have one of these quarterbacks in New York, if you're building a team, you're a general manager, and you can only have one of these two quarterbacks in New York, Sam Darnold or Daniel Jones for the future, which one are you taking and how confident are you in that pick? I'm probably not super confident at all in the pick. (laughs) I mean, I still really like... Uh, Daniel Jones was uh, he was pretty impressive to watch in person, and I you know I, I think it's been uh, it's it's a tough spot to replace Eli Manning, and it's it's obviously not a very good team there in New York, but I think he throws a really nice ball, and I think I saw that again. You know, if he can cut down on the interceptions and the turnovers, he had a turnover, kind of a fluky turnover to start that game Sunday, where he got you know hit on a, a clean blitz up the middle and tried to throw to his running back and wound up tossing it backwards, picked up for an defensive touchdown. So, like, you know, those plays, that one's fluky, but you need to see the turnovers cut down. I, I still really like Sam Darnold. I know right now it's uh, – the momentum's kind of against him after the seeing ghosts moment and and just how things have the gone. The most overblown thing right, I've absolutely. ever heard. Like, <laughs> give me a break. Uh, but, Ask Peyton Manning. I promise you that there are times where Bill Belichick made him see ghosts, yeah, you know, no at question. some point in his career. I just still really like what Sam Darnold can do. Um, I think he's still diagnosed. Other than the that, other than playing the Patriots, I still think he has a really good ability to to diagnose plays. And I think he's a smart quarterback and a guy that's got a good arm. I mean, I just kind of like the full package on Sam Darnold, and um, I do think Daniel Jones is probably outperforming what I thought he was going to be early. But 
I guess I'd stick with Darnold and and kind of cross my fingers. Has uh, has Daniel Jones convinced you? No, I mean I'm still very much a Darnold guy. Um, I would take him over Jones. I like Jones. I I always compare Jones to in my in my report on him. I thought he would be a Kirk Cousins type, where he's a B level starter who doesn't have a super high ceiling, but he works well within the offense, and he's not necessarily going to. Uh, hurt you a ton. He's just going to be a B-level starter and you can win with guys like that and that's fine. Um, And I think he's been that uh, already. Now, I don't think he's going to be um, you know, I don't don't see a super high ceiling with him but I do think that he's going to be a NFL starter for a, a lot of years in this league and a guy that as long as the Giants can build up a roster around him, um, you know, can you know help contend for the division. But I do think Sam Darnold just has a little more special to him with his ability to create and make plays. And I mean, he's stuck with Adam Gase, so it's just like, you know, <laughs> right. how much you know we have, you have to factor that in when you talk about. Um, you know, this, and I think the inconsistency from week to week. I mean, look what the Jets did against Dallas uh, in that game, and how how legit Darnold looked. And then you look at them against the Patriots. I mean, that's just that inconsistency from week to week. It tells me more about the coaches than it does about the quarterback. Uh, so you know, I, I don't know. I think that I, the the coaching situation in with the Jets really is. Um, disappointing because I, I'd love to see Darnold, uh, you know, develop into one of the better quarterbacks in the league, which I think he's capable of. But I think it's going to be hard for him to do as long as the situation is what it is there. Yeah, and we'll, uh, I guess we'll find out who's actually coaching the Jets next year. I'm not sure it's going to be Adam Gase. <laughs> um, in yeah, which case, you, you right. got to start over with the new staff. Uh, Jets, uh, Giants, November 10th, so we can settle it. Once and for all. There you go. Who's the better quarterback? Uh, but uh, yeah, that'll uh, wrap us up for this episode of the Prospects to Pros podcast. As I mentioned, this one's free for everyone. Make sure you rate us, review us. I'm at Chris Burke NFL on Twitter. Dane is at DP Brugler. You can get your comments directly uh, to us. Questions, any guys you want us to talk about, we'll try to run through those. Maybe open open things up on Twitter. We uh, did kind of a mailbag episode a couple weeks back. Might do that again as we get closer to the end of the season here. And then our Thursday show, we'll preview uh, the coming weekend in mostly college football, maybe touch on the NFL a little bit again here too. But um, obviously some some big games coming up uh, this weekend in college football. You, you know, Georgia, Georgia, Florida. Um, game days down in Memphis. SMU going to Memphis. Pretty interesting to see those two programs turn things around the last year or two. So uh, we'll get into all that on Thursday. That's our show for athletic subscribers only so make sure you get to the athletic.com slash prospects to pros check out the deals we've got uh, and get in on things uh, as we get down towards the end of the college football season and kind of into the heart of the nfl season so uh, for dame brugler and our producer kent garrison i'm chris burke and we'll talk to you in a couple days Mm -hmm.